this is, uh, you know, that negative thought you've been having, and uh, I just, uh, I just can't let you try and change yourself without a fight, so, uh, go ahead and just turn this show off, okay, and, um, uh, yeah, everything's still fine. This is Blindsight with your host, Bill Lundgren, an AINC original podcast. You serious? We're not holding back truth. We're here to help you heal and become the best you possible. Here's the chair. Here's the pillow. Here's Bill. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us again on Blindsight. I am Jonathan Price, the producer for AINC, and you are listening to part two of Bill's conversation with Jen Creasy. So without any further gab from me, let's rejoin Bill and Jen and their conversation on aging. Yes. And and alongside of that, giving ourselves permission, these are losses. And so how do we also make successful practical adaptations, but how do we also get the support we need to grieve the losses that some of these changes represent? And Mm -hmm. uh, I think that, um, as if if we're fortunate to have you know, to have lived a full healthy life until we're eighty, and we start to deal with some decline and so on, um, it's not only our physical decline, but as we get older, friends are dying, family members are dying, are, um, and so there's also the 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 challenge of being alongside one another once again, but also recognizing the the losses do tend to stack up on us as we age and and losses from earlier in our lives can revisit us and can be a part of the current losses and so on. And it's the um we just recently of course experienced as a world the the death of Queen Elizabeth in England and it's so interesting because a part of something like that is that it gives us all permission to grieve, you know, it can be all about kind of her at one level and at another level, it's not about her at all. It's about our own personal losses and kind of having an opportunity to be more, a little more public about those losses. Um, Maybe if, if we took the word losses out and said we have challenges that we just have to figure out how to work around. And I know that's just wording, but you know, when we say we're losing something, then mm-hmm. it, it's almost like giving up. We say, no, I have a new challenge. I can't, and you you name it, I can't run like I used to or whatever. So how do I meet that challenge? And in fact, consider that challenge to be kind of an adventure. I can imagine if people haven't done the kind of hiking uh the, uh, the we've been talking about maybe a challenge is to find something that will give them the benefit of hiking, you know, like uh, there are certain trails that are really relatively easy to do rather than thinking, oh, I can't climb a, you know, a 14er. You don't need to, but we need mm-hmm. to, but that's part of the attitude change that you're talking about. Yeah. Well, it, it, yes, I, I agree. I like that uh, kind of reframing toward like more what's the challenge and how can I adapt, cope, et cetera. And it's it's a little um, similar to me. Any time there's kind of a, quote, gain in life, there is some kind of loss. So our adult child um, finishes their high school, they get their high school diploma and they launch off to college 
huge loss. They're no longer at home. Um, and yet what a gain. They're, they're going on to college. They're, uh, expanding their opportunities and so on. And so, um, and I think sometimes shifting it for more to when we're older, for example, when we can't travel as much, perhaps we have a grandchild that's about to do a school year abroad and how wonderful it will be when that child comes back and vicariously we can experience their travels, see their pictures, hear their stories, and even ways with all the technology available, ways that, you know, people can even be a part of that experience while it's going on. You know, maybe they're child who's going abroad is going to be having a blog or posting regularly on Facebook. And, um, and again, kind of another topic in all of this is how we support people being able to stay connected in regard to technology and Mm -hmm. helping them not get overwhelmed by all the different ways you can use technology. But just like I was saying, maybe it's as simple as somebody really being able to learn how to go onto Facebook so they can see what their granddaughter's posting while she's in Italy kind of thing. There's a whole lot of uh, things that we need to do. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how, how best to put it. There are times when we do have those challenges. And how do we, uh, you know, when do we have to bring professionals in? When does uh, a certified licensed social worker need to come in to help us because there's a certain independence that we're trying to preserve as as an older person and the idea of bringing in or seeing a doctor or going to a mental health you know when do we have to be urged to to seek that kind of help so as we age let's focus just for a moment on on depression um depression as people age can be um, exhibited um, by things other than just, wow, I'm feeling blue or I'm feeling down. Uh, What we want to look for as we age are things like, um, are our sleep patterns changing? Um, Is our appetite changing, either decreasing or increasing? Um, Is our interest in things that used to interest us no longer capturing our attention? are we losing motivation in doing things? Um, all of these things are important things to look at and be aware of in terms of possible mental health issues getting to the point of needing some help. It's also really important that it's true throughout our life courses, but especially as we age, if we're starting to have some confusion, if we're starting to feel some, quote, depression, that we do rule out medical. That's always kind of the first go-to. For example, as we age, we can be more prone to urinary tract infections or UTIs. Um, UTIs can cause confusion. They can cause depression. And so that's just a very specific example. But um, it is always important to rule out the med- the medical concerns, and then from there address um, concerns of approaching dementia or depression. And are there options available? Because the the other thing, of course, some people uh, think about, well, should I go into a uh, facility? And, And for a lot of people, that's frightening, the idea of leaving their home and going into a facility. 
what are what are some of the options that uh, that can be there before we have to take that step? And is it necessarily that we have to take that step? Yes, and wow, what again, a very, very broad topic at one level. And again, returning to that theme of it's everybody's different. Everybody has kind of different personalities, different um, financial resources, different uh, family resources, different uh, friend networks, and so on, different neighborhoods that they live in. So there's a lot of things to consider. And there are people in the professional world, care managers, geriatric care managers, they can be, um, sometimes they're from a social work background, sometimes they're from a medical background, um, those folks, and they, they work both in the nonprofit sector and the for-profit sector. A professional like that can be extremely helpful. It's like, it's kind of like we think about, oh, I have a sore throat. I go to a doctor or, oh, I need my taxes done. I go to an accountant or, oh, I need to make my will. I go to a lawyer. Um, these, the question of like, oh gosh, can I, can I continue to stay in my home? Do I need to explore facilities? That is a place where exactly somebody could turn to a geriatric care manager and have a professional help them explore their different options. Uh, so that's certainly one step to take. Um, the other, the other thing that is very important is to look at one's resources. And so I've, I've heard people say, Oh my goodness, I couldn't possibly afford having a care provider in, you know, three hours, two times a week. Well, for some people, that's going to be tremendously less expensive than moving to an assisted living facility. And so a lot of times in some of these services, there's that idea of what's, what's the least invasive intervention we can do. And so for some people, all they need to be able to stay in their home is somebody that'll help them go grocery shopping once a week and maybe somebody that will come in and help them set up their you know, medication mind reminder once a week or every other week. And so sometimes it doesn't take much to help people stay in their homes. And again, a huge continuum, though, of if people get to the point where they're you know, needing help 10 hours a day, um, then, then potentially moving to a facility of some sort does become more economical. Um, it's very much one step at a time. And the, the concept of aging in place was very vogue for a while, but I haven't heard if there, uh, in fact, there were different areas that were designated as, uh, you know, to have programs that would provide aging in place uh, counseling or whatever, is that still being done or is that going as being too expensive? Oh, absolutely. Absol if I'm understanding you correctly, absolutely. There's, I think, a huge amount of energy to help people stay in their homes as long as possible, as safely as possible. Uh, partly that's because many, many people, that's what they want. Um, right. And also, unfortunately, in this day and age, the our society gets an impression that like, oh, my gosh, assisted livings and senior facilities, they're like Starbucks. They're on every corner. But those places typically are costing around ten to twelve thousand dollars a month and more. Right. And so 
there's kind of this appearance that there's a lot of resources for older adults in terms of residences, but a lot of them are totally out of people's reach. And I'm not just talking about people who would consider themselves low income. A huge segment of our population that's middle income cannot afford those facilities. And so it behooves us to get very creative with ourselves and our friends and our communities at how we help people stay in their homes. And so, and when we have the ability to be very proactive with that, I have a friend, a couple, and they're in their early 70s, and they live in a tri-level. And they recognize that tri-level house is not going to work when they're 85 and having knee or hip issues. And so they are now starting to look at where they might move so that they can be all on one level and they'll still have their own home and they'll still have a lot of independence and they're going to be set up to be more successful in aging in their home. So it's a combination of accepting where you are, but also not feeling pulled down by the changes that are taking, but taking a proactive uh, role. The question is, when I was talking about aging in place, a lot of those uh you know, cities were putting funding into uh, providing geriatric care managers, provide or at least the information uh, people could call and find out what's available and how to, uh, you know, to to uh, uh, get the help that they need. Because sometimes the worst part is trying to figure out what do I do? You know, who do I turn to? Who do I ask mm-hmm. for help? So off the top of my head, I'm, I'm going to su- make three suggestions. Um, one is almost every community has has a senior recreation center, or I think in Aurora they call it their active adult center. But um, senior um, recreation facilities um, oftentimes have staff that help people connect with the resources in their community. So that's a great place to start. There is also on a more local level, every area in our country is required to have what's called an area agency on aging. And here in Denver, our area agency on aging is the Denver Regional Council of Governments, or sometimes referred to as Dr. Cog. And Dr. Cog serves um, uh, seven surrounding counties as our area agency on aging. So they are also an excellent place to start to find out what the resources are. Another local resource is 211. So that's um, the United, I believe it's the United Way helpline. And you Mm -hmm. can call that number and start to explore resources. And then Finally, I would say here in Denver, another option is to contact our local um, AARP office. Um, they also have tremendous resources that are um, you know, for our local area. So the resources are out there. It just we have to, uh, again, be assertive, as I call it, to uh, ask. Yes. And one of the things I want to mention, Bill, and, and maybe not go too far on this, but I think it's really important to, for people to understand they have their Medicare coverage, but then also to understand Medicaid and how Medicaid 
all the different services potentially that are available within the services of Medicaid and discovering um, when you are potentially eligible for some of those services. Um, Medicaid helps people of all ages with various aspects of medical care, but also as we age, Medicaid does assist in some situations with um, skilled care or nursing home care and also with assisted living. And if people are in that segment of the population that might be accessing some of the Medicaid benefits, again, it's really important that they are very proactive with how they plan for that, how they um, plan financially, and so on. For example, if you're going to be eligible for Medicaid, you don't want to, potentially, you don't want to move to an assisted living that ultimately won't work with Medicaid or else you're going to have another move. And so right. um, mm -hmm. these resources that I just previously listed are all places that can help people start to explore potentially how they should be using Medicaid or not. Um, and Bill, that that reminds me, if I may add one other thought here, oh, you, you and I, when we were preparing for this time together, the other thing that's very important for people as they age is if they have either adult, typically adult children, it could be other family members that they're responsible for, uh, an adult child that perhaps deals with some type of disability, that they are very proactive with helping that adult child access any kind of public assistance that that child might be, adult child might be eligible for in preparation for when the parents are no longer here. And sometimes, um, and this again is very individual, but sometimes parents who have a disabled adult child think they're doing a service by keeping them out of maybe a public housing setting, when in fact that would be a very wonderful thing to do to help that adult child be more independent, but also to be more set up for success and appropriate care when those adult um, parents are no longer here. And, they, and the adult parent can feel free to do what they need to do for themselves as long as they've made sure that, you know, they've given the child, disabled adult child, a chance to be independent and not have to worry about their future. Bill, there's one thing that I'm aware of that I would like to potentially back up. And I feel like it's important for us to talk a little bit about alcohol and substance, um, potential substance yes, abuse, partly because when we were talking about nutrition and hydration and rest and exercise, it's also really important for people as they age to observe carefully how they're relating to out. Let's just focus on alcohol for a minute, how they're relating to alcohol. Because one thing is as we age, we metabolize more slowly. So somebody who's been able to comfortably have two glasses of wine at the end of the day, it really might be in their best interest as they age to, to bring that down to one glass or to cut back some on their alcohol consumption so that they're not increasing their risk for falls, that they're not um, causing other health issues associated with um, excessive alcohol use. So um, I'll turn it over to you to talk a little more about that, but I think we would be remiss to not have that be 
somehow included in this conversation. Thank you. I, that's a really, really important point, and one that is over is overlooked many times. It wasn't my own family. You know, I'm I'm a certified addiction counselor, but after my grandmother died, my mother told me how much she was drinking, and nobody said a word about it. Mm. And I was appalled because we never talked about that subject, and families do need to talk about it. And and, and medication, uh, that's the other key point, whether it's with alcohol or without. Uh, there are some, some medications that uh, alcohol can, a uh, combination of alcohol and the medication, uh, potentiating and creating real problems for someone who may also be vulnerable. So looking at all the medication, the uh, use of alcohol in the family is crucial, crucial. And also very important in that to be very open with any kind of over-the-counter or herbal um, things that you're using because more and more they're showing that they're, all of these things interact. And it's just so important in terms of people's health and uh, decreasing risk for confusion, falls, and so on, that their medical providers really have the whole picture. Um, the other really important resource for older adults um, is, is their pharmacist. And pharmacists, they're pretty good these days, it seems, when you go pick up your medication. Do you have any questions? And But they are experts in knowing all the different medications, herbal supplements, vitamins, um, and so on, and, and alcohol, how these things interact. Um, and it is so important that people um, recognize that and act accordingly. It's also really important for people to advocate for themselves in relationship to their medical care and their medications in terms of it's can be easy for older adults to get on a lot of medications and it's so important to periodically really review that. So ideally we want people to have the medication they need and yet we don't want them having medications they don't need because need. it all just interacts and um, to say nothing of the expense and so on in some situations, but it's so important that people are very regularly evaluating with their healthcare providers the medications they're on and which can stop, which can decrease, which needs to increase. And sometimes we say, well, one pill works, uh, so two will be even better. It's that kind of thinking <laughs> that we can get into. You know, Bill, as we're talking about things that people can do to age successfully, it's also really important that people look at their uh, documents such as creating a medical power of attorney, a financial power of attorney, um, a living will, and of course their will. And who, who, whom do they want, who do they want to um, have take care of some of those roles? And so here in the state of Colorado, um, a financial power of attorney is something Again, this is important. This may be an area for a lot of people where it's very important to either get legal help or access, again, when we talked previously about some of the community resources, what are some of the community resources around people developing appropriate advanced directives? And 
Some of the healthcare organizations are helpful and supportive in that. But what people want to try to make sure they have is, is somebody who, if they're not able to, would, would step in and help make financial decisions on their behalf. And simply put, that would be, um, some type of financial power of attorney. Um, they also, people want to have somebody who can step in to make medical decisions for them if they are unable to make medical decisions on their behalf. And also, uh, many people will want to create some type of living will that really makes clear what they want and what they don't want if they become in an end-of-life terminal situation. And also, it's very wise for most people to have some type of will that clearly uh, outlines what they want done with um, possessions, with finances, potentially with a home. Um, and what the one other important thing I'd add at this point is that uh, with all of these things, oftentimes you need a couple different people. So you need a person who can step right in and help make financial uh, medical decisions, but you probably need to have a second and maybe even a third person that can do that for you. What I would say about the medical uh, power of attorney is that you want to have somebody who can do two things, that they can know your wishes and they can also have a discernment on what's in your best interest. And for the sake right now of our conversation to say that that may not be a family member. Sometimes people think these people should be family members and Sometimes a family member is great to do some of these roles. Other times a family member is too emotionally involved to say, wow, this really was my mother's wishes. This is in her best interest, but I can't make that decision. And so it's, again, a very individual choice based on circumstances. And you mentioned the living will. Uh, do you want to just explain a little bit about that, what that is? and how that fits into what you're talking about. Um, these days, some people might be familiar with a living will as the five wishes document yes. or another document called the MOST document. It's acronym M-O-S-T. Um, these are documents that let you let the people who love you, caring for you, making decisions for you, know what you want. Um, so for example, uh, lots of examples, but that you might have a really, really strong desire to die in your home. And so how can you make that known so that if you become in a terminal situation, everything is done to get you onto hospice care, get you the support you need and get you back home. Other people might be just the opposite. They want to die in a medical care facility where they know they can get whatever they need, right. hopefully as quickly as possible. So again, it's a very um, individual thing. And the living will can also be things like, um, oh, I would like this kind of music playing, or I would like this blanket on me, right. or these are the people I would like with me. These, you know, in some situations it might be, these are people I do not want to be with me. Um, it's, getting as clear as you want to be about how you would like things to be at the end of your life. And also what kind of comfort measures you might want. Um, 
what kind of medical interventions. Um, and that's a very important conversation to have with your doctor in regard to do you want to be on some type of life support for X number of days? Do you ideally not want it at all? Um, and very important conversations to start having with both your medical care team and um, those you know nearest and dearest to you. And the thing is that to do it as early as you can, even though it's a very hard subject to talk about end of life issues when you you know you're doing fine, but it's when you're doing fine it's really the best time because then you can be objective and have a sense of what it is that you want and relieve the family and friends the responsibility of having to guess what you want because that's an awful responsibility. And legally, they can't really do a whole lot unless they have your permission. And if you're uh, in an end-of-life situation, you're not in a position to give that permission. Yes, and the other benefit of doing it early is if you do later in life get some type of dementia diagnosis, the when you've done those things before that, um, it can be incredibly valuable because you you don't want to, and this is extreme, you right. don't want to lose competency and not have these things in place. You, you want to it. do them where there's no question you are competent and able to make these arrangements and decisions for yourself. Great. I'm glad you brought that up. It's, you know, we've tried. Uh, yeah, we, it is really important. It is, and it's, it, it is one of those things that helps give people control when people, so many people say, I want my independence, I want control, and these are steps they can take to at least set themselves up for more success in having control with these various issues. Jen, this has been a tremendously helpful uh that I'm, I'm spending with you in terms of uh, helping people out there take a look at what they're doing, how they can help themselves, and how other people can help them to age gracefully, you know, to be able to enjoy life no matter how old you are. Thank you for being on today. And uh, I think we may, yeah, I'm sure you and I may think about some additional programs because this is such an important, important subject. But thank you for being on. Our guest today was Jen Creasy. The program is Blindsight, which is uh, a product of the Audio Information Network of Colorado. Jonathan Price has been our producer. We look forward to you tuning in for our next program. Thank you.